0: Hey, Real Life Church, God bless you. It's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again. Real Life Church exists to lead people to Jesus and to be a community of grace with a God-sized vision for every generation. And that God-sized vision is rooted in the scriptures, in the Bible, in this thousands-of-year-old book that we read. And and as we read it, we, we like in the church to call it God's Word. But what does that mean in a diverse world with lots of voices? In the the history of scholarship which has grown critical against not just the Bible but against all literature and writing and thought in such a skeptical world, what does it mean for us to call this book the Word of God? Well that's the series that we're in right now as we look at what it means to call the Word the Word. And today I want to look at another text in the Bible that talks about the Scriptures itself. We looked at King Josiah who rediscovered the Scriptures that had been hidden in a closet in the temple. We looked at Psalm 19 and King David's famous writings about how God texts to us in nature and God gives us a phone call in the scripture and the presence of the Holy Spirit is God showing up on the front doorstep. But today I want to look at what's probably the most famous text in all the Hebrew scriptures, the most read text in all the Hebrew scriptures. If Christians like to go to John three sixteen more than any other verse, in the Hebrew culture, the text that they go to most often is in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and it's called the Shema. Shema is the Hebrew word for hear, and this text begins with the word for hear. And so today we're gonna look at this famous text and what it says to us about what we ought to do with God's word. Hey, take a second and pray with me. Lord, I thank you that you love us enough to speak to us, that you call out to us, that creation is rich with your voice. And I ask that as we open the text, And as we call on the Holy Spirit, you would speak into our hearts and into our lives again today. We want to know Jesus more. And so show us the God captured in the scriptures, but who is living and active and loose in our world. Jesus, help us to draw close to you as we read. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, let's, uh, let's start reading from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and look at this famous text from the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is the, the heart of the Torah. There's one God. This is the uh, arising of monotheism out of polytheism, right? The ancient Hebrews were one of the first to say there's only one God, and this is the heart of it, the first commandment, there's one God, don't have any other gods before him. Verse 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. As you know, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment, the most important text in all the Hebrew scriptures? And he cites this one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then they'll say the second commandment, second most important commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. These commandments that I give you today, now the I is Moses, because Moses has received the Ten Commandments, the written word of God, the law of God, and he's come down from the mountain to present them to the Hebrew people. So Moses now is is talking about what would become the Scriptures to God's people. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. It's actually very poetically written. When you're in, when you're out, when you're up, and when you're down. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Now, that actually sounds strange, but in Jesus' day, they did this quite literally. They would actually, uh, on their their head headdresses, because, you know, remember this is in the, uh, the the Middle East and they often cover their heads for the heat. They actually would would tie little strings on the front of their their headdresses and in the bottom of them they would have tiny little scriptures uh, printed and wrapped up and put in these little boxes that that hung in front of their eyes. Or on the the wrists of their garments they would also tie little strings and they would have a little box on the end of it with a scripture inside of it. And this was a, a symbolic way of saying I'm going to see the world through the lens of God's word. Uh, The hands in the Hebrew Scriptures are representative of work. Uh, Like when I say, let me give you a hand. And so to have the Scriptures on your hand was to stop you before you you applied your hand to a tool to work, and it made you look at your work through the lens of God's Word. You would see God's Word before you could do anything with your hands. Uh, It's like when you put a Bible verse on your computer desktop. So when you open your computer, the first thing you think of is God's Word. And so this is commanded uh, through uh, Moses. And by Jesus' day, they are doing this quite literally. They're, they're symbolically carrying out what uh, Moses commanded. We're going to look at the, the world through the lens of God's word. And every time I apply my hand to work, I'm going to see God's word hanging right there on uh, uh, on my wrist. It's kind of like writing yourself a note on the back of your hand to remember. So every time you look at it, it's it's a reminder. And that's what this does. And this actually, pragmatically, would change the way they viewed life and work and the world. There was a study done back in 2008, the, psychology, the psychological experiment, in which a group of students were given a test, uh, but they were divided in half. And one half was told, before you take the test, uh, try to remember a list of 10 uh, items of some kind. And then they told the the other group... Try to, try to remember as many of the 10 commandments as you can. And it didn't matter how many they got or not. They just wanted them focusing on a religious ethical guideline. So this one group tries to remember as much of the 10 commandments as they can. And the other group is told to remember 10 of something else that's not particularly religious or ethical. Then they were given the test and they were given a survey measuring how likely they were to have cheated on the test. And that initial study showed that the ones who had focused on the Ten Commandments first were significantly less likely to have cheated than those who didn't. Uh, The study is debated back and forth, but there's a, there's a, a suggestion or an implication that when we focus our minds on right and wrong, on the fact that there's a God to whom we're accountable, it changes the way we live our lives. It motivates us towards ethical behavior, and, and that's the implication of this commandment that God gave to to Moses, that Moses passes on. Uh, as, as you go about your life, as you go about your work, see everything through the lens of Scripture. Famous Reformation theologian John Calvin said that uh, the Bible is like a pair of eyeglasses. He called them the spectacles of Scripture, the eyeglasses of Scripture, because they help illuminate the world. What is Confusing or broken or lost because of sin is clarified through the scriptures. And so that's, that's what Moses is doing in telling them, uh, put these before your eyes. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Thank God they came up with post-it notes. So here's the structure. In verse 4, in a world of competing values, there's only one God. Verse 5 Put him in front of everything else. Let him be the lens through which you see the entire world. And then verse six and following, do not forget this. Do not forget this. Build into your life's habits and cycles reminders that keep God's word in front of your eyes. What's happening here is a lot like what happens in marriage. In, in marriage, we can, we can have a, a formal commitment to one another, and yet pass each other day-to-day ignoring one another and not paying attention to one another relationally. You can have a a marriage certificate, so it's formal and recognized, your relationship is established. You can wear a wedding ring, so you have a a token that's a reminder to you. And you can even celebrate an anniversary every year, so there's a built-in routine that habitually reminds you of your marriage. And yet you can go day-to-day ignoring one another. Well, the same thing is true in our relationship with God. We can have formal recognitions like a a baptism certificate that says the date on which you were baptized, or maybe you have a a Bible and in the front of it, you've written when someone gave you the Bible or when you became a Christian. And so you have a formal recognition that there was a, a commitment, a turning point in your life. You can wear a cross around your neck. So you have a symbolic token that reminds you of who you are. You can even have anniversaries and the holidays and Christmas and Easter that say, hey, this is what I believe. And yet it's entirely possible to go day to day, ignoring the God who walks beside us. And that's what this text is at pains to prevent. Whatever you do, don't forget the God who made you. Don't forget what God has spoken to you. Don't forget that God is by you every day. Remember his words when we're in and when we're out. When we're up in the morning, when we're down at night, when you uh, raise your children, impress them on your children, write them on post-it notes, carve them on the door frames of your house, tattoo them on your forehead. Maybe just a henna tattoo in case you change your your favorite verse. Whatever, you be you. Remember them uh, in a box and with a fox, on a train and in the rain, in a car and in a tree. They're so good, so good, you see. Don't forget God's word. Because God's word to us is, it's not a matter of homework or duty, it's it's an act of the God who is passionate to save us and to be in a relationship with us, reaching out to us to restore that relationship every day. Is it any wonder that the primary metaphor in scriptures between the primary metaphor for our relationship to God is a comparison to a spouse who is passionately, faithfully committed to another one who is constantly running away. We can run away from God from the beginning to the end of our lives, and he will never stop chasing us. And his scriptures, his, his word is a writing to us that we would put before our eyes, so every day we are reminded he loves you, he's chasing you, he doesn't want you to live life on your own. The study of scripture is not so much homework as romance. God wants us back. And so remember the the challenge that I've laid out for us as we've been going through this series, this is a Bible reading challenge that I want us all to take on over the course of the next year, uh, between Easter and Easter. And uh, I gave you three options, so if you're just tuning in, if you uh, have not attended Real Life, or if this is your first time tuning in at reallife.la and following our podcast, here here are the three options for a Bible reading challenge for the coming year. Number one, if you've never read a single one of the 66 letters in in the Bible, start reading one now. And you, you have to start with the gospel. Start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Those are the stories of Jesus' life. And that's the center of the Bible. That's the heart of the Bible. And it interprets all the rest of the Bible. Don't be tempted to go back and start with Genesis and read through. You will not make it. Start with one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and learn the story of God when he walked among us in the flesh. If you read one chapter of the gospel a day. That chapters are the big numbers. The Verses are the small numbers. If you read one chapter a day, you'll finish the whole thing in a month. If you already know one of the gospels, if you feel like you know the story of Jesus well, make it your goal this year to read the New Testament. That's the, the, the later half of the Bible. That's about 27 letters. And they're mostly short, and they're not hard to read, uh, but they do take some time. And if you read one chapter a day, you'll finish the whole New Testament probably by around Christmas. And that could be a good goal for the rest of the year for you, to to read the New Testament by Christmas, just a chapter a day. It's maybe half a page. It's not a long commitment. Now, if you already know the New Testament, if you've read that before, the big challenge is read the whole Bible in a year. That takes some more dedication. You have to read three chapters of the Bible a day for a year, and you'll finish it by next Easter. But it's a worthwhile challenge because God gives us his word to remind us of his His passionate romance for us, that he is constantly in pursuit of us, that he will always forgive us, that He, he never abandons us. And to hang that in front of our eyes day to day changes the way we live our lives. If I approach the world without God's word hanging in front of my eyes, then when someone wrongs me, I'm most likely to respond with fight or flight. I'm going to go around gossiping about that person. I'm going to undermine them. I'm going to try to get back at them, and I'm going to hold bitterness towards them. But if I view the world through God's word, through the the words of Jesus, then I will be reminded day after day to love my enemies and to pray for those who have persecuted me to bless those who curse me. It will change the way I live my life and it will change the condition of my heart. So that's my Bible reading challenge for you. If you already, I know some people already have their own reading schedule set up. That's fine. Do the one that you're on if you're already on one. But uh, if, if not, that's the reading challenge for the year. Now, the text will go on in verse 10 and the text is going to warn us of when we are most likely to forget God's word. Verse 10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are the the main figures in the book of Genesis, the sort of the founding fathers of the the Hebrew faith. God's people all trace their lineage back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And and God has led them now on this, this adventure over centuries where they've Uh, been lost in slavery in Egypt and then set free again and now they're wandering through the desert and Moses is giving them God's law and they're about to move into their homeland. They're going to have a place of their own. And he says when the Lord brings you into the land he swore to your fathers Abraham Isaac and Jacob to give you a, a land with large flourishing cities you did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. When you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Many Christian parents are afraid that their children will lose their Christian faith when they are attacked or questioned by a teacher or professor somewhere along the way. Someone who asks them hard questions that they cannot answer, and they begin to doubt, and they walk away from their faith. Many parents are afraid of that, but that's not most often how faith is lost. Faith is not most often attacked, it's forgotten. Faith is not most often burned up, it's most often chilled. Uh, Some say your faith will end in fire, uh, I say in ice. Uh, In other words, it it can happen that someone challenges your faith in ways that you can't answer that, that puts you in a, a state of existential doubt and you walk away from it. But more often than not, what happens with faith is that we begin to be casual about it. We take it for granted. And then we slowly forget it. And eventually we drift away from it. And that is how most faith is lost in the world. If you are going to lose your faith, that's most likely how it's going to happen. Satan will most likely not attack you while you're reading the Bible to fill you with doubts because that's going to make you defensive. All he has to do when you're sitting down to read the Bible is say, hey, look, squirrel. Because if he can distract you from the Bible, if he can make you casual about it, so that you're not looking at it every day, so that it's not your lens to the world, then over time, you'll start to take it for granted. And then without any alarm bells going off, you'll start to forget it. And then you'll drift away from it. And this is the warning that Moses has in the the Shema after telling the people, remember God's word, look at it when you rise up, when you go to bed, when you're in, when you're out impress it on your children, write it on the doorposts of your house. Make sure you have reminders built into your world everywhere. Don't let it drift away because the day will come where God has finally led you out of slavery from Egypt into your promised land and you will have houses that you didn't build and cities you didn't construct and vineyards you didn't plant and wells you didn't dig. Do not forget. Look at verse 11. Do not forget when you have eaten and are satisfied. It's like this. Uh, The other day uh, in the morning, my wife said, um, hey, can you pick up the kids after school today, the kids whom you love and adore? And I said to her, of course I can. Of course I'll make time to go pick up the kids after school today, the kids that I love and adore. And that was my plan. In the middle of the morning around 11 o'clock, I looked at my task list for the day, and I remember I have to pick up the kids, the kids whom I love and adore after school today. But around lunchtime, I went out with a friend, and we went to Eureka Burger. Eureka Burger. Now, if you haven't eaten at Eureka Burger, I do not understand why you believe in God. Because Eureka Burger is the most sure proof of the existence of God I've ever tasted. They are giant, juicy, tender burgers with Gouda cheese melting over them like lava flowing from a volcano. Crisp, thinly sliced tomatoes that feel like the first day of autumn when a cold snap promises you that the angry summer sun will no longer have its way with you. And when you take that burger with fries into your body, it changes something. Not just in your body, it changes something in your soul. There are monks on the mountaintops in Tibet trying to evoke the experience that I have when I eat at Eureka Burger. And after lunch, I went back and I sat in my office chair and I leaned back in that chair and closed my eyes to contemplate the goodness of God and the the cheeseburgers that I love and adore. And that's the last thing I remember. Until quite a bit later, my phone started going off with an angry buzzing noise because someone had forgotten something. Verse 11, When are we most likely to forget God? When we eat and are satisfied. When we are so thankful for the gifts of God that we have forgotten the giver. The the effort to study scripture, to immerse ourselves in it, to know it well and to keep it before our eyes is to remind us that we are created by a God who wants to live in a daily passionate, committed romance with us so that we will not forget The Hebrew people have this fabulous history of reminders of what God has done. He brought them out of slavery in Egypt. These plagues rocked Egypt with God's supernatural power and they were freed into the wilderness. As they fled, God parted the Red Seas miraculously in front of them and they passed through on dry ground. When they wandered in the desert, God rained bread from the heavens to provide for them every day. And when they came to the land that would be their own, The walls of Jericho collapsed in front of them, allowing them free passage into their homeland. When you move into the land that you did not build, where there are cities that you did not construct, and homes filled with good things that you did not provide, when there are fields that are flourishing and growing with crops that you did not plant, vineyards full of beautiful grapes that you did not plant, and wells that you did not dig. When you eat and are satisfied, do not forget the giver for the sake of the gifts. Because God loves you. God wants to spend life with you. And the most certain way we can commit ourselves to that relationship is by placing God's word in front of our eyes every day. Placing it on our hands So that when we go to work, God's word is the first thing we see. This isn't homework, this is romance. Take seriously the call to study God's word. As you pick up God's word, pray over it. Ask what God is saying to you today. Not just what historical information you can glean, but the the voice of the living God today speaks to us in Scripture. Ask what he has to say to you today. And then think about it. Dwell in it. Drink it in as you rise up in the morning and as you go to bed at night. As you walk along the road and as you sit down at the table. Impress it on your kids and on the next generation. Write it on the doorposts of your house. Place it before your eyes and on your hands. And when God provides for you lavishly because he loves you, when you eat and are satisfied, do not forget. Do not forget the God who loves you. Let's pray. God, thank you that in your grace, you love us so much that you've left left this powerful record of your interactions with your people. Make us a part of that story. Write us into that story. And put in our hearts the faith and commitment to keep your word before our eyes, to live our lives interpreting the world through the spectacles of scripture, through your word to us. And as we immerse ourselves in your word, fill us with your spirit that we might know day in and day out the God who walks beside us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.